bachelor parties that I went to, like one was totally chill, like literally poker night, didn't drink too much, like just the most innocent, you know, bachelor weekend you can think of. And then the other one was like exactly the bachelor party that happens in the book <laughs> and uh, which was not chill at all. Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room to listen to all of our podcast episodes without any ads. You get access to our video episodes, our bonus episodes, and even more exclusive content, including merchandise. It only starts at $5 a month, so head on over to our Patreon. Again, it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash ivory tower boiler room. And while you're at it, you know what would be such a help is if you could rate and review the ivory tower boiler room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and make sure that you follow us and share out our podcast to all of your friends. It truly does help. And I want to thank you all. It means so much that you're listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Just a brief message before what I know you all are going to absolutely love as an episode today. I have such a great guest. There are two book clubs going on during this spooky season. Happy spooky season, everyone. I am hosting the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Book Club. We are reading Parachute Women by Elizabeth Winder. It is all about the women behind the Rolling Stones and even the invention of rock and roll's success. And then Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, is reading Haunted, Asylums, Prisons, and Sanatoriums by Jamie Davis. So to join both book clubs, you just have to go to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash ivory tower boiler room. Each book club has its own membership level, so each is $4. If you want to join both book clubs, then join the ITBR professor level instead of like joining each book club separately because for $10 a month, not only do you get both book clubs, you also get all of our bonus audio and video episodes and also our entire video and audio episode catalog, including this episode ad-free. So can't wait to see you all. The deadline to join both book clubs is October 20th. That's because Mary and myself, we have to just make sure that we coordinate the private Zoom a session that we'll have with all our book club members. So I can't wait to see who's in the book club and get your hands on Parachute Women and Haunted um, for our book clubs. And then also, I'm now offering consulting. So everyone out there, if you know someone who has college admission essay questions, they're not sure where to start with the undergraduate college process, they have financial questions about college, I was lucky enough and had a lot of financial conversations about um, loans and I actually don't didn't have any loans from my college experience and I was able to get scholarships so I can help you with that. I can help with graduate school questions, um, graduate school thesis editing, dissertation editing, 
uh, podcast questions, help with your podcast, starting a podcast, social media branding questions. I'm here for your services. So my initial consultation fee is only $30 and it's a one hour Zoom. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room and you'll see that consultation option. Okay, without further ado, here is today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm incredibly excited to be joined with a repeat guest, Nicholas DiDomizio, a nice Irish name. I probably joked about that on the first episode, so maybe I should find another joke. It's because my father always says that with Italian names growing yeah. up in Jersey. Um, and some people never get that humor, but that's right. another story for those outside of the Northeast. Um, so Nicholas, I'll read just his quick background. He holds a bachelor's degree from Western Connecticut State University, a master's from NYU. His debut novel, Burn It All Down, which James Patterson actually blurbed about it and has a review on the cover, was published in 2021. Unforgettable is what James Patterson says. Uh, Nicholas lives in upstate New York with his partner, Greg. And their smooshy bull, smooshy. I love that. Okay, yeah. bulldog Rocco. Um, so also your partner's name is spelled very interesting. It's G R A I G. Yeah, it's very. Uh, it gets misspelled all the time. People either think he's Craig, or they go with G R E G. But yeah, G R A I G, named after Greg Nettles from the New York Yankees, back in the day when he was born. So. I wish I could say I knew who that is, but I'm not even going to pretend. Uh, I'm only a I'm only a sports Phillies fan when they make it to the Super Bowl. Then I become like this. Something takes over my spirit, Nick, oh, yeah. and I become this diehard Eagles fan. It's just yeah. they have to make it to the end for me. Um, so it's so wonderful having you back. I loved having you on. It was about a year ago. I feel like it was the fallish. I'm trying to remember. But burn it, it all down. Yeah. It was great. I'm so happy to be back. Yeah. And we really got a lot out of you about Vogue and Anna Wintour and the email she sent you. Uh, I actually applied to Condé Nast for a few editor positions and thought of you. And oh one God. of them actually was going to be like under her. And uh, yeah, I'm wondering if the universe saved me or actually yeah. if I should apply again for that kind of job. I don't know. I I respect her a lot with interviews. Uh, oh, I mean, it's definitely an intense culture, as we discussed. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's relaxed. I don't think I would be waking up and it would to get grounded every day would be it's a process. Yeah. Um, but Older. she has a vision. Absolutely. He knows the vision. Um, so Anna, if you're listening, come on the podcast. Um, uh, maybe that will be distanced yeah. enough. Um, yeah. But Nicholas, The Gay Best Friend, your new release. I mean, I am wearing my Kiss Me Bro shirt just in <laughs> honor. And I feel like the Barbie movie, your novel, Pink is our theme this summer. It's back again. Yes, it has been such a pink summer. I'm obsessed with the cover. I love the pink sky, everything. Yeah, I'm obsessed. Yes, I'm well, and you have it behind you, which is so nicely displayed. Um yeah, you're 
your publicist should be very happy with how you've displayed all your books. Uh, very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also was um going to like start to buy all these pink workout clothes now. I'm just obsessed. So <laughs> someone has to stop me. Um oh. but keep going. Okay. So the gay best friend, I mean, my first question is just how did this come to you, this idea, even the title? Is that where it all started for you? Um, you know what's crazy? The title was actually the last thing. Um, I had written it under a different title and it had sold to the publisher under a different title and they changed it at the very end. Um, but I love the title because there couldn't be a more perfect title uh, <laughs> because the book is about um, the gay best friend uh, of this couple that's getting married. And um, the idea really came to me, um, I knew I wanted to write like a beach read, something in my home state of Connecticut and on like the shoreline, light, breezy, like Ellen Hildebrand vibes is what I was going for. But then in terms of coming up with the actual story, uh, I first thought of the wedding thing and then I was just trying to pick like my own experiences and, and see what could might lend itself to that setting. And um, so then I started thinking about weddings that I've been in as the best man um, and bachelor parties that I've been to and bachelorette parties that I've been to as like, you know, the gay guy who gets invited to the bachelorette. And um, yeah, in like the summer in 2014, I went, I, I went through this with two weddings um, where like my really close friends were getting married and I went to the bachelor party um, and then like was later at the bachelorette party with all the wives and girlfriends of the groomsmen who I was just at the bachelor party with. And they're like grilling me about like what happened at the bachelor party, you know, no one talks about it. And it was just like so much, such a form of tension that has always been funny to me. And uh, so yeah, once I like settled on that theme, I was like, all right, this is the idea for the book. I'm gonna take a character, throw him into that exact scenario um, and uh, you know, let things get messy. Yeah, well, and this isn't the first time actually on the podcast that I've had a summer read, which we can get into that concept. But I do think there's something to the spectacle and beauty of a beach read. Like, you know, people will joke, oh, you could read Victor Hugo's Les Miserables on the beach. And I'm like, you could. Yeah. And I'm a huge classic reader. I mean, I'm not going to do my PhD a disservice. I love all the classics. But am Literature. I really going to lug Les Mis to the beach? I mean, it's there's something to that beauty of just, oh, I'm opening up what's a summer read or it's going to take me into that scenery. Yeah, completely. Especially like, A, if you're literally on the beach and you want something like that's not going to require too much, you know, um, analysis or any like just a fun entertaining like watching a you know streaming show or something and also if you're not at the beach I love like I remember when I used to live in the city like I would read Ellen Hilterbrand novels and just like get swept away into like Nantucket where all of her books are set and like just the mm -hmm. details and just like that feeling of like mentally like okay I, I can't go you know I'm not going to the Hamptons this weekend. I'm not do. I'm no nowhere near the beach, but at least I can experience it vicariously through, you know, these messy rich people on Nantucket. So 
yeah i i can't like i just it's my favorite genre if you could call it a genre but um well and we had celia lasky um her novel so happy for you i'm not sure if you've read it nick but i've it's... heard of it okay you recommend it it's a wedding themed book right well yeah i'm uh there's these two um one character she's queer and she goes to the bachelorette party but it's a psychological thriller so i'm not gonna like spoil it all yeah. but um i did interview her about it and there's so much to it's similar you know as an entryway into your novel but different right. in the sense that there's only this very women's gender studies professor going to this bachelorette party almost as an anthropological mission and she's going to study it and then things just go awry but not in a raucous sense in a um just psychological breakdown so it's kind right. of um i remember saying to celia it was like ruth ware but with the queer twist love that i mean i love a good thriller too especially now like with spooky season approaching um but yeah anytime you throw like a queer person in the middle of like a very traditional like heterosexual scenario i i find that interesting um always just because you know we have such a different perspective and it's different experience from like the majority of the you know the straight population that some of the themes that come up are just extremely interesting um, and even when I was writing this, like stuff came up that I didn't even intend to talk about, but it just kind of, you know, from that scenario, um, you know, it surfaced. <laughs> yeah. Well, and do you know that Scream 7 is actually going to be for the first time ever directed by a gay, it's directed by a gay director. Oh, interesting. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Writing has always been very gay. Um, the writing, yes. Well, and I always wanted a gay character in the opening phone call scene, but I feel oh. that I easily can go into the scary movie territory where, like, you get the phone call and then he's like, oh, you're in a costume? You have a mask? Right. Oh, okay, let's do this kink. And, yeah, right. That... I mean, I'm not sure if that's how it's going to go. I mean, maybe they could set the opening of Scream at a gay bachelor party. If the I'm, director's listening. You know, they be... have done wedding stuff in any Scream movie yet, so it's due. Yeah, I mean, they should approach you. The gay best friend meets Scream. Merger. Um, you, Celia Lasky, get everyone. Bathhouse, PJ Vernon, let's just get you all on the team. Uh, but... What I just love with the GBF, the Gay Best Friend, as an acronym, I mean, I was always thinking of, in my mind, somehow it goes to Roll Dolls BFG, but <laughs> very different friend. Yeah. Um, that the Gay Best Friend, how did you even, right, before you brought up that in 2014, you've had these, the Bachelor, Bachelorette experience, like this is where the novel draws from your own personal life. Um, yeah. But did you have straight friends of yours say, oh, yeah, Nick, he's my gay best friend. Like, he is this token uh, emblem that I'm wearing. You know, it. I never, it's never been that um, direct, for sure. Like, I've always been the only gay person in my friend group, just by the nature of growing up in the 90s and early 2000s. And I don't know, I feel like there's more 
I mean, there's obviously more out people nowadays, but almost like there's more gay people now somehow. I don't know. But certainly when I like growing up, like all, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of people that I went, you know, grew up with in middle school and high school and stuff. And um, like, I just noticed like during my twenties, early thirties, um, you know, when all of this traditional marriage stuff started happening and we did all these like gendered parties, um, I thought, it was like the first time I thought of myself, I thought of myself as the gay best friend. It's almost like I started tokenizing myself because I was like, I'm not fitting in like the same way all my other friends are like when we, and it's also like, you know, things are very different with like guy friends, like, especially when you grew up together and you were in the closet for so long and they think they knew who you were. And then you just like, you know, I came out in college and I just like went, I became a totally different person basically um so that was definitely probably weird for some people <laughs> and we I definitely like drifted apart from some guy friends and you know later came back um as adults and so I wanted to like explore that dynamic how your friendship can change when one person you know comes out and then with with female friends it was kind of you know this totally opposite thing where they're like thrilled when you come out of the closet and then it's like oh my god I have like a gay friend who like we can you know check out guys together and like you know do all the stereotypical gay things so I think when I started getting invited to bachelorette parties that was where I really started thinking about the gay best friend stereotype and how it's like the only like it's just it's it, it's like when you're the only guy at a bachelorette party you definitely feel uh you notice it a little like it's I've had like certainly the parties in my real life were a lot more fun <laughs> than, than the parties in the book like I never got into that much that level of drama um like you know once you like are drinking with your closest friends you're gonna have a great time but um it still was it was interesting noticing who expected me to be loyal and where they thought like like the guys you know there have been guys who like would expect me to keep things from their girlfriends or something and then the girlfriends are like well obviously you're going to tell me everything he does at the bachelor party like if the, and so <laughs> i really wanted to explore that and um you know in a way that was fun and beachy but uh but yeah in terms of literally being tokenized and i think i did it to myself more than anyone did it to me Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture. And the GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme, Cracking the Closet. So, starting in the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, 
writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Yes. It sounds as if this is an internalized yeah. gay best friend analysis that you put yourself through, Nick. I I was very adamant to myself when I came on this recording. I'm not going to psychoanalyze Nick. I'm not going to try to do what I did with Burn It All Down, like try to find the <laughs> Italian gay boy trigger touch points. And again, we get this gay boy Dom who really is going through a lot at the beginning. He has a breakup. He was about to get married. And then things, the shit just hits the fan. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it's almost like, you know, we ended Burn It All Down. We're at that precipice in the beginning. And then we now are thrown into his world with Patrick and going to Mystic Connecticut, the beach house. Yeah. Um, very waspy. But he's Italian. And I... Just find what you do with Italian culture so fascinating because, well, I'm sure you know, but do you know what the number one state is of Italian Americans? I mean, it's gotta be either New York or New Jersey, right? No, no. that's what surprised me is it was Connecticut and then I mean, it was New York, New Jersey, and then New York. That's so funny. I mean, I having lived in all of the tri-state area <laughs> at one point or another, um, that doesn't surprise me. Because, uh, yeah, my family came to Connecticut in the 50s um, from Italy. And there, I mean, there was a ton, even like growing up in the 90s, like in Hartford, Connecticut, we had like such a vibrant, like little Italy, like Franklin Avenue was like the kind of the main street of it all. And, um, and I just remember like at the older I got, like they just started moving away to the suburbs. And now like there's like no Italians like in the city, but they're, I, I guess they're still throughout Connecticut, just <laughs> in other, in other areas. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, with this book, it was very much like, okay, when you, cause like, you know, like I've had friendships like Dom and Patrick where, you know, the friend is, I mean, I like, I remember going to like this one friend's house for sleepovers, very similar to the Mystic house. It wasn't in Mystic, but it was in like, Crom it was on the Connecticut river and it had like the long hill down to the private beach. And the, it was just like massive. And like, I was lived, had like a single mom in like a, you know, apartment. And I would always like feel, you know, envy and trying to like 
emulate him and stuff and so i wanted to put that dynamic into it and then like throw being gay on top of it and so <laughs> like i definitely wanted to explore all of that um in this book um as we've seen in other like friendship rom-coms like bridesmaids or like something borrowed where mm -hmm. you know you have like the friend who's kind of like the you know the ugly one compared to like the charmed best friend who's getting married and you know you're trying to like navigate everything and where do you fit in amongst that so so yeah that was definitely something I wanted to do with this book for sure yeah and someone who breaks down at a chocolate fountain and then kicks the cookie over uh that's my favorite scene with Kristen Wiig yes. oh my goodness I know people always mention the like food poisoning but no it, yeah. it's when she just is completely losing it and then there's that little girl who's cracking up and just is so excited that someone yeah. finally has lost all social etiquette but right. um she yeah, said, I mean, yeah. yeah, love that. No, no, wait, what did she say, Nick? <laughs> when she's breaking down at the fountain and, and she's like, why did she buy her, a what kind of woman buys another woman a trip to France? Lesbians! Like, that was just an iconic delivery. <laughs> and you could see, like, the friend group kind of shake their head in agreement, but no one wants to say anything. Oh, God, that movie. Okay, but it is interesting, though. We do have that Bridesmaids and then I guess Bachelor movies, we would have The Hangover. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I was going to say Magic Mike. But, <laughs> I mean, I guess it is a Bachelor movie in a way. Um, right. but we really haven't had a... I mean, there has been the gay best friend in TV and movies, but I don't really remember a gay bachelor party movie or um, unless it's on Logo or like... Yeah. Even Queer as Folk plays around with it, um, but not in a mainstream way. Yeah, it's interesting. I think with the gay best friend trope, it's it's always the, he's the gay best friend to a like female main character in a rom-com. And, um, you know, like going back to My Best Friend's Wedding, with, you know, Rupert Everett, and uh, there's a million examples we could talk about, but, uh, yeah, with this one, I do think it was one thing that I wanted to highlight was like, in real life, a lot of times it's the other way around. Like when you grow up, like, I don't know, I'm sure it's different nowadays, but in the 90s, early 2000s, your t friends tend to be like other boys, or if you're a girl, they're other girls. Um, so like my friend group, until I got to high school maybe and started being a little more social, but it was always just other guys. And so when you, like when your best friend is another guy, and then like I was saying before, you come out in college, it's like, like such a weird, it's like such a different experience than like your best friend is a girl and she's like, oh my God, I love it. You're gay. We can be, you know, whatever. With, mm -hmm. with men, it's, or in my experience, it's been a little different. So I did want to explore that angle of being the gay best friend where you know it's not like your guy friend is gonna tokenize you in the same way but there is when but there is a you know it's even if everything does stay the same you have the most supportive best friend ever and he's like dude it's cool whatever the the dynamic of the relationship is gonna change at least a little like because you know you're no longer you no longer have that common ground um mm -hmm. so yeah I mean you know I didn't want to get too deep with it in the book but I I definitely wanted to at least represent like that experience that I think so many of us have had in like especially as millennials 
Well, and you so humanize that experience. I mean, I was even thinking as I'm reading your book, which as Nick knows or anyone on my social media, I've had so many gay men reach out to me about your book in such a positive way. They're like sending me screenshots. Not, <laughs> not of like your book in inappropriate places. Right. Um, well, I don't I guess how you define inappropriate. Because uh, <laughs> I post photos of myself reading in like, speedos jock straps well, well i've done that as much <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um it's like as i've journeyed with your book all over the beaches of jersey and long island um it's just so interesting thinking about my high school experience nick i mean your 90s to 2000s i'm you know late 2000s to the like 20 14 is when I graduated as an undergrad. Oh, so okay. like, but I do still remember when I came out as a freshman, I had a lot of guy friends from middle school. And then um, I don't want to say they dropped me, but it definitely shifted the dynamic. It was, I wasn't really again around a lot of guys as really close friends until I was on the track team. But even then, I mean, I was always out in high school, so it's a little different because right. the guys always knew. Yeah. But um, there was definitely like the guys who I could tell were very open or like they, it, they, um, you know, especially on the track team, I think there was more of that team spirit. So it was never mm -hmm. a topic of conversation, but I was definitely muted. Like my, I was, my personality was muted. Like when I was with my friend, I'll shout her out, Carly Stein, and we were comparing our stickers from the tanning salon in Jersey. Like this is a true Jersey moment. We would like put cherry stickers on our stomach and oh you my. would see your tan line. Oh yeah, the I Playboy know. line. I feel like a lot of people had that. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, again, everyone out there, that's not a, a PSA to tan. I know it's harmful. I told Nick I stopped that years ago. <laughs> I do tan outside, but I use pr protection. Um, but it, it is interesting how that openness or even when I was though coming out, there were examples of the gay best friend. There was even, that's when I discovered Degrassi started to have more gay characters, oh. the next generation. Um, yeah. There was Queer as Folk had already come out and I found it on YouTube. Um, and I think, though, what you show in your novel that I think is so important is Dom reconnecting with Patrick and yeah. that there's been years that have gone by in a way where they had lost connection, but they were still he was brought back to Patrick because of Patrick's wife or future wife, fiance. Right. Um, Kate. So I think that that's an interesting dynamic. Like there was some, I don't want to call it falling out, but Patrick had gone into his frat yeah. uh, society and Dom had entered into a different pathway, but they both went to law school. So it is, it's so interesting how that male bonding happens in your novel. Yeah. And I think their, their period in basically all of college where they drifted apart and didn't talk was, um, again, kind of inspired by real life where, you know, it's like, I think certain guy friends, like with Dom in the book, like he, he just kind of assumed that Patrick would have a bigger issue with it 
that because you know when you're closeted for an entire friendship until you're 18 years old you know there's gonna be especially back in those days like you're gonna be homophobic together like you're gonna like just make you know it was like no homo was like a very common refrain if gay was used as like a synonym for like lame or stupid you know like it was just a very homophobic time and so like you know you think about those things and you're like oh now I have to tell him that I'm actually gay which is like the worst thing anybody can be you know in our world Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> Sorry, I had to, everyone. It's Dr. Andrew Rimby. Happy spooky season and gothic and horror. Just all the vibes. I am so excited to talk about Broadview Press, who you might know helps sponsor our podcast. They're an independent publisher in the humanities since 1985. Did you know they have so many horror novels that you need to get your hands on? They have Frankenstein, of course, by Mary Shelley. They have Dracula by Bram Stoker, one of my favorites. They have The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, Edgar Allan Poe's Poetry and Tales. Oh, they just have so many gothic novels that you all need to soak your teeth into. Bob your teeth into <laughs> some kind of Halloween metaphor is appropriate there. They also have academic books like Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock's The Mad Scientist Guide to Composition. So if you're a writing professor out there, you need to get your hands on that. And they also have a gift package called Mystery Horror Sensation, which if you don't know what to choose, just choose the Mystery Horror Sensation gift package. Just a reminder, you get 20% off on broadviewpress.com, link in our show notes. Just use the code IVORYTOWER, all lowercase. IVORYTOWER, 20% off all your books on broadviewpress.com, all of them. I can't wait for you all to hear our next Broadview Press guest. It's coming in November. And definitely when you buy one of their horror or gothic novels, or books, just make sure you tag us on Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and tag them too at Broadview Press. I know they'll love to share it. Okay, everyone, be careful if you're reading in the dark. I don't want you to get too scared. Turn a light on. Bye, everyone. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot 
H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Um, so, so with Dom, it was like, he kind of, after he told Patrick, you know, he started drifting away just as like almost a self protection. Cause he didn't want to give Patrick a chance to reject him. And then, you know, Patrick went and joined the frat and Patrick probably could have been more openly supportive, but he, you know, he was a little caught off guard by it too. And so they drifted in that way where it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't a dramatic falling out. It's not like Patrick was like homophobic outwardly but um but again it was like dom kind of did it as a way of like just his own internal shit (laughs) and um yeah but it was it's nice because like that you know when stuff like that happens you can reconnect and you know build anew um which is you know what they did but even though there was still a lot of unresolved stuff from their past which which the book (laughs) gets into but yeah, well, and then you also, what I love is Dom is living, though, in a world of contemporary culture. So, like, we have that layer of 2023. Now, I actually feel I'm so playful with my straight guy friends that we're now in this moment where I don't want to say they're tokenizing me, but I'm almost tokenizing them. I'm like, oh, I'm your gay friend. Like, I get to you know, judge your fashion or, I mean, I'm not judging fashion, but, right. but, or, oh, you must think it's so unique what it's like when I'm with other guys. Let me pull the, <laughs> I try to be as forward as I can. It's almost not making them uncomfortable, but right. just being so openly honest that I feel we have moved into a different oh, set totally. of culture. And I, guess that's because of gen z really right and when you're like out from the jump it's easier i think the problems all come from like when you're you create a version of yourself that is so not who you are and then you change it up and then like i think that's where all of their issues come from but but yeah i do think nowadays like yeah straight guys are cool most of them if they're not then they have issues that they need to work on but um but yeah, like most people couldn't care less. And some of them are actually quite, you know, love to talk about gay stuff and they want all the details of gay sex. And, you know, it's an interesting dynamic when uh, when people are really honest. Well, and I have some who even uh, want me to take them to Fire Island and they want like this experience. It's what they I, the- <laughs> they want the, what? The attention. I mean, like some straight guys well, do love shit. I mean, yes, some want the validation and they like to know, especially at the gym. I always say, you know, some think that bodybuilders or, you know, men who are just obsessed with working out, which is a good obsession. I mean, I think it depends how, you know, much it's in your consciousness, but yeah. I don't agree at all that they're um, homophobic. I actually think most bodybuilders I meet and those who are in the um, fitness community, they're so open because it's really about the physique and the male gaze and them looking at them. Uh, They like, they like the looking, trust me. Um, 
And I see some things with the clothes that they wear that I am not disappointed in. Uh, okay. So I wanted to ask though, right? It's the gay best friend. It's not the gay best friends. And that's something I find right now, just in my own life, trying to find a really dynamic gay friend community has been mm. a struggle for me. Like I have gay friends, of course. I mean, I'm seeing some of them for um, beach trips and getting together, but to have like a very large gay friend group, I mean, I've never been to a gay bachelor party um, and hopefully I will eventually, but you know, is that an experience that you find it would have just been, it totally would have taken you um, far afield if you did the gay best friends and th if this was a gay bachelor. Oh, right. Like focused. gay people mm -hmm. in the past other than, yeah, I mean, that's, probably the experience a lot of younger people have now. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. It's like, I, I think I just based on the time that I came up, I just kind of like my only introduction to other gay people was like when I started dating and like my first boyfriend was like really the first gay person <laughs> that I knew like in real life. And so I never, yeah, I never, I mean, like, I definitely, when I went to grad school in uh, New York at NYU, there were obviously, it was the most gay people I've ever been around in my life. <laughs> and I made some gay friends there. And um, and then like over the years in my career, when I worked at MTV and of course, Vogue, tons of gays. Um, so, <laughs> so I definitely have like met and befriended and I have like a, a lot of gay acquaintances, I would say, um, certainly like on social, and everything else um but i don't know and it's there's something about like the friends you grew up with that um and it's probably a very connecticut thing too or you know tri-state area like <laughs> um but where those are just the closest friendships and it would have been cool to like have a gay person in the mix <laughs> of that and like a gay guy that i've known forever who i could you know go to his bachelor party or do something um so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think more people probably have that experience now. Um, so they don't always feel so so othered as uh, Dom feels in the book, but um, but I don't know. I mean, now my, so my partner, um, his uh, brother is gay. So his brother and his partner, like those are two gay people that we see a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like, once you have a partner that then the friends become centered on who the partner's friends are and like your couple friends. I mean, um, I'm still single and ready to mingle and flirty and still, I'm still trying to debate whether I want to be in an open relationship or not, Nick. So oh. I'm like, I like being single. And if I start to date, maybe I want to be monogamous and maybe I should just be single. Okay. Right. <laughs> so I, I think though, what is really interesting, though, with what you balance in your book, Nick, is that you get that social class dynamic, right? Like, it's not just about Dom being gay, but like yeah. you've already said, he's an outsider, not just for sexuality. He's an outsider for social class. And I mean, even here where I am in Port Jeff, there's a community called Beltaire. And I'll look 
um, I'll drive by like estates that you can't even get to the house because there was one listed for 15 million. And I'm like, let me just see what this mansion looks like. And then, of course, I'm so naive. I like drive up and there's a gate and you can't even like see the home that overlooks the sound. Um, Right. But because I was going to film it for TikTok (laughs) because everything now is TikTok related in my mind. Yeah. (laughs) But I do think, though, like even my observations here, um, again, like that's the very uber wealthy. Like that's not the majority of I mean, the town is upper middle class, but it's not just like Connecticut. I mean, it would be as if you're talking about Greenwich or Westport. um, Right. And I'm sure even Mystic, I don't know. I think I know a little about Mystic because I passed it on the train to Boston, probably. Um, Uh, I love it, but um, it's not very wealthy at all. I mean, there's like the Patricks of the Mystic who have like the beautiful waterfront properties. And then like all the locals are just working class, you know, normal people um, like Dom really. But his experience of Mystic was always, you know, as a guest of the, of the richy riches. So it's more of a summer, like the wealthy come in in the summer to their home, their beach houses. And they winterize, go back to their lives, <laughs> you know. Okay, so it's very Jersey Shore, like certain Jersey Shore towns. Stone Harbor even operates like that. Right, right. Okay, okay, I got it. Yeah, see, this is a all year town um, <laughs> environment here on Long Island where I am. But I think that, why I brought up that example is you can have that immense, the immense wealth. And when it comes to sexuality, it's not that your sexuality is um, a, I don't want to say a detriment because that sounds so harsh, but it's not the sexuality that's unique or different. It's more, do you fit in with the etiquette of the town? Like with the social class, the events you go to, the money you spend, even at, um the spa or doing luxury activities and i feel like that's what's interesting even when you bring in bucky who is in the pga tour he's a golfer and we get this other added layer of preppiness you know and yeah so how were you balancing that dynamic in your novel um you know i i again kind of drew from you know certain friendships and when you're not, when you're like the, you know, the guest of the the person who has money, it's just such an interesting, like, I remember like, you know, parents um, of that friend I was talking to before, like they, like kind of like Patrick's parents, they kind of looked at Dom as like, not like a charity case, but, you know, we are clearly like hosting this less fortunate person you know for the weekend or whatever and so of course Dom you know is going to internalize that over the years and so there the whole friendship dynamic has always been like you know Dom just feels second fiddle to his friend it's almost like why are you even friends with me like you're like good looking rich straight like I'm this like closeted uh you know kid from the other side of the track so to speak and so I think that is just so ingrained in Dom's um identity like right from the jump as a character that um 
you know, it informed so much of their dynamic. And then, but, but what I wanted to do with Bucky, who is Patrick's uh, other best friend that he met in college in the frat, and he is the a pro golfer, so he's like a multimillionaire. Um, but I wanted to kind of show that, like, you know, at the beginning, Dom thinks like, oh, Patrick, of course he replaced me with Bucky, this guy who is like more on his level, like a straight, wealthy, preppy frat boy. And through, but of course, at the bachelor party, not to go too spoilery, but you know, Dom and Bucky get to know each other. And he realizes that like he totally misjudged Bucky and he didn't know anything about Bucky's, you know, childhood, how he grew up. Um, you know, he wasn't, he didn't have the same background as Patrick. He, you know, was just uh similar had a similar background to um to Dom, except, you know, in the South and he's very southern. <laughs> but um, you know, and so I wanted to show that like have Dom have some kind of realization that like you know, there's com there can be common ground. It's not just like everybody is just automatically, you know, better than you because they have money or they're whatever. Like it, that really ultimately means nothing. Um, and even Patrick, I think he, by the end of it, he learns like that obviously Patrick isn't perfect. I mean, his, you know, stuff that happens in the book shows that he's not perfect. Um, his relationship, you know, with his fiance, but, um, but yeah, it was it was fun to play with those things because I think with a lot of books in this beach read genre, um, it's kind of just told from the POV of like the wealthy summer people um, who have the house on Nantucket or the Jersey Shore or Cape Cod or whatever. And they're just, you know, dealing with rich people problems and, and stuff. And it's, it is what it is. So I, so I wanted to kind of, make Dom an outsider just to kind of comment on it a little bit. Yeah, I, there's just, I love that your book, there's so many that people could read even after the summer months. I mean, if you're on the West Coast and you're in Southern California, I guess it's always a beach read, um, hey. even though I know the water's freezing in California. Uh, but, you know, if you're in South Florida, you're in Sarasota. That's where I used to go. So that's why I shout out Sarasota. But, you know, beach reads, we can extend that concept. If you're in the winter months, draw up a hot bath, read, you know, yes. these summer reads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking also of Jonathan Parks Ramage's Yes Daddy, that there's also that outsider character there who goes to the Hamptons and... I just find it, it's so important when it's told that Dom is our entryway in instead of Patrick, which would have been such a different story if right. we're hearing Patrick's voice. Yeah, which I love to read that story, but it's nice to have different perspectives, um, you know? Yeah, well, and something that I find we definitely, you know, as we're getting to the, and, and then we're going to play a fun game. That's just to tease everyone. But with Bucky, you know, I'm not, of course, going to give away your spoiler because I want books in the hands of the listeners for you. Is the frat idea, I think we have to just touch upon, Nick, is, oh, yeah. you know, how is fraternities 
connected to you? Is this something that you knew men in fraternities and that really sparked this idea for having, um, you know, Dom not be in the fraternity, but Patrick and Bucky, that's their connection together. Right. So I actually, so neither school that I went to was had much Greek, like they had Greek life, but it wasn't nearly anything like, you know, what it is at schools that are known for that. Um, so frats definitely were not, didn't really play a role in my life at all, but I, I wanted to use that almost like as a shorthand for just the fact that like, what did play a role was like the extreme level of like hyper masculinity that has always been expected of boys. Like every guy friend that I've had, like we, I don't know if it was just the friends that I had or the town that I was in or whatever, but it was so like, everything was so stereotypical, like macho, like, guys had to be literally like the stereotype of a like a frat boy or you know just like there was no nuance like I don't think I met a thoughtful and not to like talk shit about my friends or anything but I I don't think I met like a guy that was truly like thoughtful and in touch with his feelings and emotions probably until I like went to grad school (laughs) Like all my life, it was like guys were so one dimensional and like myself included when I was in the closet, because that was like the only option that we felt we had. And I mean, it's not like we were miserable, like we had a lot of fun, you know, you go to parties in college and or in high school and college and like it's uh, it's like the bachelor party at, <laughs> in the book, like, but it's, I think it can be insidious in some ways when you're like literally like you know prohibiting yourself from even like feeling a feeling um like as is the case with Bucky like he was the president of the frat he's up he's this macho golfer like he has to uphold this image of like strength and masculinity that is suffocate would be suffocating for anybody unless that's genuinely who you are 24 7 and who is really um Hi, did I mention that it's spooky season? This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and guess what? I have so many Halloween and fall designs and crafts in my apartment, and guess what? There is a person who's made me so many Halloween, horror, fall-themed items, and her name is Mandy Bengal. She owns Mandy Made It, a craft crochet company. So... Mandy talked to me and said, Andrew, I want everyone out there to know that if they mention ITBR and that they heard my ad, that I will give them a free ITBR t-shirt. So make sure you mention ITBR and order from Mandy crocheted pumpkins that she actually is using cinnamon sticks as the stem, which is a brilliant idea. How cozy. And also filling the pumpkins with potpourri. I already want to wrap myself in a blanket. She has Halloween keychains, other Halloween crochet designs. So how can you reach out to her? Go to her Facebook or Instagram, at Mandy Made It. Reach out to her. She will ship items out to you. If you live in the South New Jersey, Philly area, she'll arrange to have you either pick it up or deliver it to you. So 
Mandy just makes such beautiful crocheted items. And I'm so happy that she supports the podcast. I've known Mandy since I was a child. We were in theater camp together. That's how I met Mary. So the three of us have known each other a long time. Okay, head over to Mandy Made It for your handmade crocheted items for this Halloween and fall. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic Movie Great Movie Ride in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the Great Movie Ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly. The list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. So yeah, I definitely wanted to explore that. And I think just making Patrick and Bucky's connection be a fraternity uh, was was the best way to <laughs> kind of illustrate that like this is the ground that they they bonded on. Well, and it's interesting that oh, that's right. There was that TV show Greek. Um, oh. I knew it would come to me, and there is this gay storyline that I find fascinating in it. Um, um, but I actually knew someone at Rutgers who was in a gay fraternity because there's not many, but there, I think it's still there at Rutgers. Um, again, I didn't go to a, a very Greek oriented, neither Kane or Stony Brook University are very heavy in fraternities, but, you know, Penn State, Rutgers, there's the houses. Um, and I think that what, you know, you're bringing up, there's different also kinds of fraternities, right? Like a gay fraternity, again, is like a gay bachelor party. It's unique. It operates in its own. They have their own rituals. And we yeah. know, right, Nick, gay men can put each other through the ringer. So I'm sure they have their a, own rituals. The drama there probably would put the drama in my book to shame. <laughs> I mean, I think that anyone out there who's been part of a gay fraternity, you know, reach out to me and I'd love to like just right. share your story. Um, but what I think is interesting, though, is there's like the Vineyard Vine fraternity members, which is more of a Bucky preppy kind of fraternity. And then there's the, I think, stereotypical drunk off their asses fraternity members, which we have in our American pop culture minds. Right. right. So I right there's 
you're kind of balancing the more it seems white collar fraternity, which right. also is its own hyper masculinity and it uh, centers on income. Generation. Uh, yeah. And all of that stuff. Yeah. The generations, their fathers were in a fraternity, the grandfathers. Yeah. Um, and what I think is fascinating and we have to, I just need to know is, you know, why do you think so many women want to know what happens at a bachelor party, but the men aren't necessarily asking the women about what's happening at bachelorette parties? Ooh, that is such a great question because that was what I, I mean, that was literally my life when I was, I remember so vividly, like just being grilled by, the, <laughs> by these bridesmaids. Um, and, you know, one of those couples has since divorced. Um, but uh, I think just because of the stereotypical, like, you know, like the movie The Hangover, or you know, the the stereotype that bachelor parties, you know, people are going to get blackout drunk, do drugs, strippers, prostitutes, whatever. And um, I think you have some women who are like, oh, my man would never do that. Like, obviously at his bachelor party, he's going to keep everything G-rated. But then you have other women who are like nervous that he is going to do something and that she doesn't approve of and she thinks he's going to like cheat with the stripper or whatever. And so it I, it, I think it definitely comes from that. Um, and it's like a trust thing too, you know, like, and at the end of the day, like if you're married, if you're married to a guy or you're getting married to a guy, like, you know, who his friends are, you, you kind of, if you really ask yourself, you know what his bachelor party is going to be like, <laughs> like, you know, if he's like a debaucherous, like sex worker, drugs stripper, like uh, bachelor party kind of guy, or if he's going to have like a chill, like poker night with his friends bachelor party. Um, and I think in the case of the ones who, you know, like saw, like in my experience, like the ones who saw me as like a potential spy for them, they knew that the bachelor party was crazy and they wanted me to just give them all the juicy details to like confirm it. Um, and were there juicy details, Nick? Uh, well, that was funny because that year, <laughs> I the two bachelor parties that I went to, like one was totally chill, like literally poker night, didn't drink too much, like just, just the most innocent, you know, bachelor weekend you can think of. And then the other one was like exactly the bachelor party that happens in the book, <laughs> and uh, which was not chill at all. Um, and so, yeah, it depends on the groom and like the group that's, you know, going there. But I, I, I think like the groom, unless your friends are total assholes, like the groom sets the tone and says like, this is what I, you know, what I want. And like, then the thing it has to, you know, act accordingly. Um, so yeah, it's funny because I, right after this book came out, I went with my like friends from home to um, the Travelers Championship golf tournament uh, in Connecticut. And they had all just read, or like most of them had read the book. And these were all guys that were at the bachelor party in question. <laughs> and one of them had not read the book. And uh, so I go, the second I get there, he's like, oh man, I, I thought you like, I didn't realize you were going to tell the exact like every detail <laughs> that happened in the book and he's like if my or his wife he was like if my wife who was like a good friend of mine he was like if she asks 
none of it happened, right? And I'm like, isn't this exactly what the book was about? <laughs> and I was like, but no, none of it did happen. Um, but, uh, you know, so that still like is a thing like that haunts me to this day. But I mean, I, I published it in a book. So at this point, there are no secrets. Um, <laughs> and the one well, who didn't, yeah. um, the one who didn't read it, like walked in on the conversation. He's like, what are you talking about? And we're like, oh, there's just that bachelor party 10 years ago. And he's like, the first thing he says is like, oh man, remember that double-sided dildo that we couldn't find? <laughs> Which is like a detail in the book. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, yeah. I mean, let's, uh, you know, everyone needs to figure out why there's a double-sided dildo in your novel, Nick. Uh, that's, that's gonna, that, you know, that's gonna get the readers. Uh, right. I mean, because you think of that, but with like bachelorette parties, you think of, um, you know, penis party supplies and it's almost, you know, if there's male strippers, it is that more magic mic, like, oh, he's a firefighter, a policeman, maybe right. also, right. It's that gendered expectation of, oh, the men, sh the male strippers are just comical. They're, it's right. a shtick. Like female strippers, oh, the men really would sleep with them. Like, mm -hmm. where right. are the women really going to want to sleep with the male strippers? I mean, I think there is a double standard here. Um, totally. Yeah. And then a gay bachelor party, though, if there were strippers, I mean, I think then you just need a lot of boundary conversations. And then if they're in an open relationship, right, that could be a very, very uh, raucous, wild time. Again, I think we need a gay bachelor. <laughs> Someone has to write that, but As I think it's just... You opened the door for it, Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, now we can play the game, you know, our own bachelor game of sorts. It's not going to get that wild. Um, <laughs> unless, but we can be very gossipy. That's where our wildness will come from. Uh, so, you know, just everyone needs to read The Gay Best Friend. It's such a good read. It really, I mean, it's a beach read, but as I always say, beach reads, have depth like a beach read does not mean that there isn't nuance it's right. just because i think that's the stereotype that's so true yeah and like it's just literally set on the beach and it's a fun story but yeah i i tried to <laughs> give some quality to the to the writing and some depth to the characters hopefully you know debatable if i pulled it off but i tried <laughs> no you pulled it off you pulled it <laughs> off um so Nick and I were going to um, just rate gay best friends in film and TV. Um, so just a few, because there's a lot, actually, as I was pulling up all these articles. But first, because I just finished and just like that mm. um, is at, on a scale of one to ten. And I guess our rating for this is not sad. I was going to say, should it be sassiness or should it be just how well the gay best friend is portrayed or how much they fit the category. I don't know. We need to come up with guidelines. Oh, right. Or like how much we, like how much we would want to be friends with them in real life. Oh, I like that better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause if we do sassiness, I think we might end up in some, I don't know. Everyone out there is going to start screaming into <laughs> their headphones. Um, Okay, so the first is Anthony in Sex and the City and in Just Like That. So Mario mm -hmm. Cantone, who 
I just absolutely love as an actor and comedian. But okay, so Anthony, how do you rate him as a gay best friend? Anthony Marantino. I I'm gonna give him a so show, I'm gonna give him a nine. I think he's a great gay best friend for the characters and the perfect, like, you know, he's funny, quippy, tells it like it is, all that stuff. For me personally, I don't know if I could be great friends with him because I might get too exhausted. Because <laughs> he's, oh, he's so high up. Like, yeah. I might personally give him, like, a six. Yeah, I agree. I like that rating. Okay. I'll have you do the ratings and I'll provide commentary. There you go. I'll let I'll just... you get into trouble. <laughs> 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 but I do have to say, I think I like Anthony. I like Anthony so much more in the new series. Um, and I can't say that about every character in And Just Like That, but that's my own yeah. criticism of the show. Um, first of all, I just think we need Samantha. Like, without Samantha, the show is just... There's, there's good additions, but if you don't have her, you don't have And Just Like That. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest. Sex, Sex in the City is such an important show to me. <laughs> like the original, like I was, that was like when I came out, like I like started watching it in college and it was like, just, I was obsessed. Like me and one of my friends at, uh, at college, like we would watch the DVDs and those like translucent packs that, you know, um, but uh, so the new show, I kind of hate, but I have to watch it because I love the characters so much but I feel like it's just so not even coming close to what the original was which is fine um but yeah like Stanford from the original like he's a 10 both sides I would I would love to be friends with Stanford he was great um he yeah I would but you know and just like that it's cute it's nice to have it I mean it's cool it's nice to spend time with the characters in this later stage of their lives um, but I think they're just completely like, I mean, Aiden really, and then calling big, a big mistake. I mean, this was, we like lived for like six seasons and two movies, like all like rooting for the big relationship, like for it to work out with big, he was her like ultimate, like total, I mean, that was everything. And the way they just like completely shat on it this season, I was like, I can't, I can't with you calling big a big mistake. I know some people will like, you know, have my head for that because <laughs> like people do think he was a big mistake, but I'm not one of them. Yeah. Well, I might have to have you back to just do an <laughs> and just like that quick episode because I have so many thoughts. I could go um, on. <laughs> I know. I know. And I also just think that. My personal opinion is I am all for, you know, representation and being progressive. Like if anyone knows me, like I am very, even just politically, a very progressive voter. But I think they're trying, oh, they're just trying really, really hard to yeah. not step in anything. And in Sex in the City, they stepped in stuff. Like there was very controversial uh. comments. And I just remember... Samantha with like the meatpacking district and there oh, were yeah. transgender hookers and like it got Every really wild. They went there with everything. Yeah. And now and now yeah. they don't want to go there. Right. And it doesn't feel true to life. Like 
there's yeah there's something where i think you put it the right way they're trying a little too hard well if charlotte is running in a snowstorm to buy condoms for her daughter i mean her daughter i'm (laughs) like what sure she might be open-minded but you're that open-minded i thought she was gonna like give the condoms and then bust in and like grab her daughter and cause the drama right and I love Charlotte, but we need some drama. I just, I feel like they're missing. Oh, and, and it's sh- not on the actors. It's right. the concept. And, and the Charlotte from the show, original show, I mean, she would never in a million years be like encouraging her daughter to go like, fuck a guy. Like she would do like the waspy Connecticut thing and like not want to talk about it. Um, But anyway, I mean, not to say characters can't change, but... <clears throat> I know. Oh, no. Okay. So I, I think eventually definitely we'll have to, I am starting a Queer as Folk rewatch show. So I I might bring you back on oh, if you like the original re- series. Yeah. I, I never watched it like in its entirety, but I of course used to like sneak it on like Showtime on demand back in the day. Um, okay, good. I'm like getting everyone to rewatch it with me. So it's an excuse for me to rewatch it, but I'll bring you back on and maybe we'll have to definitely talk about it just like that. Um, <laughs> But, okay, another gay best friend that I just am obsessed with is in Clueless, the movie, we get Mm -hmm. that gay best friend, Christian, who uh, Cher thinks has a deep crush on her and she's trying to go for it and it's not working. You know, how do you rate Christian? Christian, oh my God, he's an icon. 10 out of 10. Um. I mean, everything about that movie is a 10 out of 10, but he, it it was, yeah, he was such a fun, I mean, that was probably one of the first gay people I ever saw on screen. Um, And yeah, I mean, I loved Christian. His, obviously he was an impeccably dressed person. If he were friends with me in real life, he would like hate my entire wardrobe, uh, I'm sure. And (laughs) like my entire vibe. But um, yeah, I mean, I just loved how, like the misunderstanding with Cher was just so like adorable in a weird way and he was so cool about it and then they became best friends and it it kind of like it's funny because I know she literally says in voiceover like having a gay friend is the best like we can go to the mall and stuff and like so I guess she literally like was one of the first you know to outwardly tokenize the gay best friend character and put him in that category but it didn't feel like a tokenizing thing it, like it felt like they had a genuine friendship and um and he's and very it, suave too like I just remember his jacket over the shoulders he's like this cool cat character he's playing totally and he and he wasn't totally stereotypical because then remember when Ty those guys were like hanging her off the uh, oh yeah thing and he went and saved her and he like totally saved the day like he contained multitudes Yes. A Whitman quote. Good job, Nick. Um, But, okay, another two actually gay best friends. We have Will and Jack, of course, from Will and Grace. I'm being such an easy grader now after Anthony. Um, Two, ten, ten, tens all around. Will and Grace, another super formative show when I was in college. Had the DVDs. Um, Like, when I was, I remember, like, thinking about coming out and, like, that show kind of, like, helped me feel okay about it because I was like oh there's a show about these gay people who are like living these amazing lives and it's no big deal and like 
and then I loved ta- speaking of like stepping in it like that you know they were it was so politically incorrect and they were totally like making the most insane gay jokes all the time but it was like funny and you were in on the joke and um yeah I mean obviously Will and Jack two totally different versions of the GBF um but two that I would absolutely hang out with probably I mean Jack you would have to have a very you know a lot of caffeine to keep up with him um but yeah they're great they're icons yeah, well, Jack is like kind of like Anthony. They're in their own universe. Like they have enough energy to, you know, duplicate. Right. Um, and then, you know, Lafayette, if you remember him from True Blood. Oh my God. Yes. I missed that show. That was so fun. Such, so it's such a good show. You know what? I'm going to also give him a 10. <laughs> he, I think he broke the mold for sure. He was not stereotypical like he Mm -hmm. like he had the sass he had like the quippy comebacks and he was glaring at people and stuff but he was a very complex character which was like I think um refreshing to see like it wasn't like I mean it's been years since I watched that show but I remember thinking like holy shit like he's got a complicated life (laughs) yeah and the southern dynamic and his blackness i mean i think it was just like you said it was really groundbreaking that that series is groundbreaking i mean and he held his own you know against anybody like he could go up against a straight guy and like kick his ass (laughs) yeah and he was so protected because of his openness he was so protected by the community in a way that anyone who tried to mess with him like Sookie, I just remember she uh, had no time for anyone messing with yeah. the underdogs. Um, right. Okay. Do we have time for two more, Nick? Absolutely. Okay. I'm okay. Like, how fast this has gone. I know it went by so quick, but that's because, you know, we're right. just now friends on a recording. Um, right. So I have to mention, of course, a sh- movie that is formative to my ears, but Mean Girls and Damien. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Damien, Danny DeVito, I love your work. I would say uh, I'm going to give him an eight. Also very high ranking, love Damien. He's also an icon. Um, But I don't know. He had certain moments where I was like, you could be nicer. Like him and Janice. I mean, granted, like Katie was, you know, not the most loyal friend or anything, but they, I don't know. So there were certain moments where I was like not rooting for Damien, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then because of your Vogue days, I have to mention Ugly Betty and, you know, the gay assistant to Wilhelmina Slater, the incredible Vanessa Williams. I love Vanessa Williams. Um, Is Mark St. James. So I've actually never seen that show. Is this a, is this an abomination? Do I need to like add it to my list? No, you have to definitely add it to your list. Um, okay. Maybe I have to do a rewatch. I might have to. I'm starting to rewatch different shows. So I'm using Queer as Folk as at the beginning. But I'm like, okay, what would be after that? And I think Desperate Housewives. Oh, I need so that good. show needs to be returned to. Um, yeah, Ugly Betty. I would definitely rewatch. I think it's. Just the whole, I mean, 
you could compare it to the Devil Wears Prada, right? And then we have the gay assistant in the Devil Wears Prada. Well, he's not an assistant, but um, Stanley Tucci uh, director guy. Yeah, Stanley Tucci's character. What was his name in real life? So I actually worked with the the guy who people say was the inspiration for that character. Uh, um, okay. Oh, Nigel is the one Stanley Tucci plays. Yeah, Nigel. Um, so that was very interesting. But in the, I, well, I won't go into any detail because I I can't confirm or deny. But um, I mean, yeah, I it sounds like I need to watch Ugly Betty. I mean, I love Vanessa Williams, so. Yeah, no, it's an America Ferrera is wonderful in it. It's um, again, talk about it has that Devil Wears Prada premise where it's someone not from the fashion world, like wasn't obsessed with it, gets the job and then is completely just full of curiosity with the spectacle of all the language, right. um, which is why I think the Devil Wears Prada was written in the first place. I read the novel. I'm trying to remember the writer's name. Oh, Warren. Um, yeah. Lauren. Wait. Yeah. Wait. What is it, Lauren? Weisberger. Weisen. Something. She was a true. She was a real life uh, AW assistant, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah, and um, AW. I love how we just now shortened her name. Um, yeah, Weisberger. Yep. Um, and she really just set that tone for exploring oh, yeah. a world that is such niche culture that everyone knows the language in that society and space, but everyone outside of it is not aware of the ins and outs. And like we were right. talking about, even Nigel, um, yeah. Mark St. James is like that with um, Michael Yuri's character in Ugly Betty, where... Uh they basically keep the ugly duckling or, you know, the one who needs to turn into Cinderella in this space. They right. are going to set her right and they're going to do the makeover. And right. Yeah. So it's, no, definitely watch Ugly Betty. Um, <laughs> you need to. Okay. I'll do just one more because I think it's a character that we all, you know, know and love is did you see glee or at least know of glee oh yes what was his name yeah did so he... chris colfer's character oh yeah and he did baby it's cold outside with the other guy yes kurt so kurt is chris's character Kurt. so from what i recall i mean i wasn't like a total gleek but i do i definitely saw a few episodes um was he I mean, I guess I'll give him, this is with the um, disclaimer that I do not know him as intimately as I know all the other ones that I've rated. I'm going to give him a seven. Mm, that's kind of high, I feel. I don't know. I feel like if we're talking stereotypical GBS, I know the show was a gay creator, so, but the my impression of him was that I don't know if he brought anything new to the trope, but maybe he did. And I just completely need to rewatch that show too <laughs> i know i mean his father um is his most adamant fan after he comes out i thought that was i think bringing in darren chris as like the love interest was a new addition of yeah. joining the schools together but yeah um 
definitely a rewatch. And also, I have to shout out Marco from Degrassi. I loved that character. Yeah, he was like the orange. Yeah. So it's so funny because like I I remember watching that show and being very invested in what was Ashley, (laughs) the one who was like with Drake. Oh Um, yeah, she was goth. She was the goth character. And like I didn't even. It's weird how, but Marco, yeah, he was a pretty like that was a pretty like evolved gay best friend. Like he was a pretty complex one. Yeah, and then I just always connected to Emma. I have to see what she's up to. I feel like I don't girl. She was, yeah. She had blonde hair. She like I just remember one episode where, um, I had had it on, and my mom walked in the room, and it's that episode where she had gotten an STI because of like giving blowjobs or something. (laughs) That's all I remember. I was like, oh, okay. I remember. Yeah, and I was. Like STIs, I feel like we, especially during like the early 2000s and stuff, the STI panic was so intense that like my entire college experience was like tainted by always like being paranoid that I have one. Well, and do you remember the myth? Because then she was in a Lifetime movie after Degrassi and they like doubled down on it where she was part of a rainbow bracelet party. Remember there was that whole craze that women were going to collect bracelets with men who they had given DJs too. The movie literally called She's Too Young. Yes. yes. I remember oh that. She, oh, went, what a time. What ah. a time in our culture. Uh, she's well, too- I think she's moved on from those rainbow party movies. Yeah. Um, so wherever she is now, I'm hope oh, she's thriving. Um, but no, some of the Degrassi, well, Drake, of course. I mean, and then the one who was like a guitar player, he was in the beautiful Carol King musical. So they've moved into new yeah. realms. Um, so Nick, this has been wonderful. I feel like, you know, we are gay best friends in the literary world, so are- it can happen. Exactly. Just like the easiest, gayest conversation. I love it. Um, I'm so glad you, thank you so much again for the invite. So fun to be back. Um, of course. This podcast is amazing. I feel like you oh. cover like the best books, the best topics. You go there. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Oh, this feels this feels good for my heart. Um, but you know, I'm going to. You're giving me this ignition and passion that I need to just. I'm going to get a large group of gay friends together because I'm very good at the one-on-one. Even like two others. Yeah. Again, do I need to have 10 gay friends in a room or even 10 people in a room who are friends? I don't know. It gets complicated. And True. as but we yeah. know with your novel, yeah. once you get a lot of men in a room together at a party, yeah, you know, when they say straight men don't have drama, they're lying. There yeah. is drama. That is the biggest lie ever. Gossip, drama, all of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think straight men gossip even more. Oh, women, yeah. But. They just have different language to talk about gossip. Right. (laughs) So thank you, Nick. Everyone out there, please get your hands on The Gay Best Friend. And it is just such a wonderful read. You know, as we're heading into the fall, it's a great, you know, outdoor, get your blanket, your sweater on, think of the beach, be at the beach even. We still have some time. I I don't like when everyone fear mongers that summer's over. I'm like, it's not over. Stop it. You have 20 days left at least. 
I know. And you still have October and November, which can be very beautiful oh, yeah. days to be outside and read. So yeah. whatever. Yeah. Read in 30 degree weather wrapped up. You could yeah. do it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Nick. This has been wonderful. And definitely I'm going to have you back on. I think we need to continue this and so just much. like that conversation. Yeah. So much more. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Thank Nick. You. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye, everyone. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. I want to thank you so much for listening to the ITBR and TCIA episodes. Make sure if you don't follow, rate, and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you follow ITBR on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and TCIA on TikTok and Instagram at True Crime and Academia. Also, we have a brand new Patreon membership system. So I just want to explain it to you all quickly. So if you want to become an ITBR student, it is $5 a month. You get ad-free ITBR and TCIA episodes and video interviews. If you want to become an ITBR professor for $10 a month, you get all of those ad-free benefits, but you also get access to both the ITBR and TCIA book clubs. You can join both book clubs, get ad-free episodes, plus you're going to get all of our extra video episodes. So I am re-watching Queer as Folk. Christian Garcia from That Old Gay Classic Cinema is joining us, and he's re-watching Smash. Um, Mary is going to start to re-watch shows as well. You even get access to what I'm calling the ITBR teaches. So if I'm recapping a movie or a TV show, including Barbie, um, Halloween movies and horror films, you get access to that as well. And then I also am offering consultation services. So for $30, you get your first initial consultation with me. It's a one hour private Zoom. I will help create a, your podcast, your media brand. How do you navigate academia as an undergrad or a grad student? Do you need help with technology? It could be teaching tools, Spotify for podcasters, video editor so software. Do you want to expand your social media presence as an artist, writer, podcaster, or academic? Do you want help on how to create a public humanities identity like I've created for myself? So I now am offering that consultation service. You can find more info about it on Patreon. And you also can join our book clubs. If you want to just join the ITBR book club or the TCIA book club, you can do that for $4 a month patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash ivory tower boiler room thanks to the team mary de pippi our chief contributor and thank you to our two new interns from stony brook university jonathan and sarah bye everyone until next time <laughs>